Okay, so welcome to the Dentist Profit Playbook podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Harry Singh, helping you grow your facial aesthetics business. In this episode, I'm delighted to welcome Andrew from Spring Farm, um, who's going to be talking a little bit about what he does, um, his role in the aesthetics, what we think is going to happen in aesthetics, and how him and his business can help you grow your facial aesthetics business. So welcome, Andrew. Hi. Okay, so if you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how, how you're associated with aesthetics, um, businesses you're involved with, and basically how you got involved in aesthetics. Okay, well, I'm a pharmacist and I uh, run a family pharmacy business. And we fell into aesthetics by default, really. We started doing some Botox and some fillers and, and it developed from there. Yeah. My background really is I'm a prescriber. Uh, I pioneered the idea of pharmacists working in GP surgeries. I pioneered the idea of electronic transfer of prescriptions. So I've had quite an interesting career uh, and learnt a lot from that that I can bring to aesthetics. Okay, yeah. Aesthetics is is fascinating to me because... I sat on a a regulatory body. I was on the Council of the Pharmaceutical Society for 10 years. So looking at regulation and aesthetics, looking uh, at the ethics, looking at safety issues are high on my agenda. And that's something that I think all people that are serious about aesthetics need to embrace and sooner rather than later. Yeah. What, What was the appetite of pharmacists getting involved in aesthetics when you first started? When, we, when I first started, there was very few people involved. Uh, I've seen the area grow. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people come to the market. Um, as a pharmacy, we're highly regulated. And um, in aesthetics, I, I often feel that sometimes... people lose sight of that. They lose sight. I've seen a lot of people who uh, almost play Russian roulette with their pin number um, yeah. in terms of aesthetics. There are others who are very cautious. And I always think that sometimes you need to make sure your, your first step is very solid, on solid ground, and you need to build from that. Okay, yeah. Perfect. There. Um... Um, did you own a pharmacy when you were a pharmacist? I actually got into pharmacy because my dad was a pharmacist. I looked at my dad when I was 18 and I thought there was more to pharmacy than just giving out pills. I am absolutely passionate about um, the role of the pharmacist as a medicine manager and having the expertise on the therapies that they supply. Yeah. I'm also very passionate about the patient journey. And people often talk a lot of things, but uh, in terms of the NHS, for example, uh, I, I made my name working with GP prescribing. Um, people focus on the cost of medication. It's not really about the cost. The most expensive drug is actually the one the patient doesn't take. 
in the yeah. NHS. And compliance, adherence and outcomes are indelibly linked. And the same thing applies to aesthetics. If you, you know, if you don't have the right procedure, you can have the best drug in the world. But if you apply it inappropriately, the yeah. outcome will be negative. And people need to think about those things in, in dealing with aesthetics. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because my wife's a pharmacist and I'm always checking medical history and drug interactions with her. And and also, as we know, with aesthetics, a lot of people get confused with uh, units and doses, especially if they're changing toxin vans. And I always get the pharmacist to explain the units and it's not interchangeable and what, how you work out uh, dilutions, which dentists and especially dentists are not used to in clinical setting. I think I think I think that's right. I think I see healthcare moving very quickly to a uh, not being a dentist, not necessarily being a pharmacist, not being a, a GP, being clinicians and learning off your experience um, and how you move forward that way. I, I think you've now got a situation where, for example, pharmacists prescribe. We've got nurse prescribing. All these bring new challenges, and I'm very keen to see models where it's much more interdisciplinary, much more working together across the professions, rather than almost, you know, putting people in boxes. Yeah, and, and you get um, people bashing each other's profession. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. It, it, it's the, the most important. The Achilles heel of any healthcare professional in this country has to be the patient and if you can't argue your case in terms of the patient I sometimes question why you're making the argument in the first place yeah definitely um going off uh piss um what because obviously superdrug have got involved in aesthetics do you see that being successful do you see other like boots and noids getting involved in aesthetics The problem with, with some of these ideas, a lot is about the talent of the individual. So just because they multiple chain do something doesn't mean you can get the, the same level of results. Yeah. You choose an aesthetic practitioner because you have confidence in them. You don't necessarily have confidence, you know, in a big multinational because you don't know what, level of person you're going to get when you go in it's 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 much more about the individual it's much more about the skills however benefit that some of those people bring to the parties certainly a big multiple wouldn't cut corners yeah and wouldn't take some of the risks that i've seen some practitioners take yeah definitely yeah but no you're definitely right it's like it's to this individual condition yeah, as I said, you could have multiple locations and you could have a really good clinician, a really bad clinician. Um, and I've changed locations and people follow. It's like a hairdresser. If people follow, if they trust you, do a good job, they're going to stay with you no matter where you work. In, as a healthcare professional, reputation is everything. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen some people risk everything by making the wrong decision uh, not really thinking through the consequences of their actions. Um, for example, we've had uh, 
professional people who would want to uh, write their aesthetics on a prescription. Yeah. And at the time, they thought nothing of sending that prescription to two pharmacies. So two pharmacies have got the prescription. They haven't thought through the consequences of that. They haven't thought through the issues. And when those things are eventually found out, because pharmacy is quite heavily regulated, it does catch up with them. And when it catches up with them, it is catastrophic. Because people ask questions. And, you know, um, we've been in numerous situations where uh, we've, people at face value and uh, we have to do all the validation checks and everything and despite all that we we then find out that they've done something that they haven't been transparent about and that that creates a problem and certainly when you're dealing with the pharmacy profession which is highly regulated that soon causes problems. Yeah, you're definitely right, Andrew. People will eventually get caught out as a dental professional who's not a prescriber, and she was um, faking the prescriber's signature, sent him to the pharmacy, and then eventually got caught out and basically well, they get, got stuck off. They, get, they do that. The other thing that prescribers need to think long and hard about, when you're prescribing for a third party, yeah. What risks are you taking? Because you are almost or condoning the skill set of that individual to uh, carry out the work. Yeah. That is another big area. I see prescribers who write uh, prescriptions to people. I look at it and say, I can't understand how they could possibly have done a face to face. I yeah. can't understand how they could possibly have seen that patient. And they're sending them to a pharmacy who takes that very seriously. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're sending prescriptions to... Just because you've sent a prescription, that is not the end of the process for us. We validate it, we check it, we start to think, well, I I look at a prescription and say, that's for a patient, okay? And, you you know, you're starting to think... There's lots of things that trigger in our minds... And, and, and people might think that uh, it's very just straightforward or we just send you a script and you just send it to us. It's not <laughs> like that at all. No, no. Maybe, maybe your, your listeners would, would benefit from actually taking it, coming along and visiting and seeing actually what does happen. Because yeah. to understand that process certainly would make people think twice about taking risky decisions. Yeah, no, definitely come down because I've been to your premises uh been taken uh, you probably won't do it for everyone but i've been taking that for a nice curry afterwards as well so we're not promising anyone that comes to the pharmacy gets taken out for a curry there but no we get delegates um especially non-prescribers for example dental hygienists and we explain you need to do a face-to-face your prescriber needs to do a face-to-face consultation they'll they'll tell me at least five names of other people that get their their prescriber never sees their patients face-to-face that's right but that that's the idea why would you take that step because i judge a lot of people very quickly by the prescription and how they deal with us very quickly i get a feel for the ethical standing of the person don't think that doesn't happen and if you're a newbie going out 
and starting your career, you need to work with people who have the same level of ethics as you do because you may find you might be the little starting a small business that you think everything's going well and all of a sudden your prescriber is a prescriber that falls into one of these camps because there's been an investigation and and, and people think it just stops at uh, a prescription it does not I've seen it go back to the prescriber I've had a whole hospital where nurses have been doing aesthetics, the pharmacy department, pharmacists have been doing prescribing. The whole network has come down because one person wrote a prescription to the wrong pharmacy, tried to be clever. But what you then uncover is highly significant. And, you know, people who might think they're doing the right thing because they back the ethics of other people yeah, yeah. actually end up in a very, very difficult position. Yeah, because you don't hear that side. You always hear the side of the prescriber because they're going to be jointly liable. They've got to be more careful. But you don't hear it on your side. As you say, the non-prescriber, they've got to be careful who they should. Because a lot of them are so desperate to get a prescriber, they'll pick anyone without any references or... Well, let, me give you, let me give you a good example. The moment this incident happens here and we find out that somebody has tried to write, send a nurse or, or anybody has written, sent a prescription to two pharmacies. Yeah. First thing that will happen is you focus on the nurse or the doctor or whoever it is. Then you focus on the prescriber. Who wrote that prescription? Yeah. Then you focus on who the patients were. And what starts as one instant becomes very quickly a major instance and you know we take regulation very seriously here yeah. so if you are, if you have a pin number and you're a uh, a nurse doctor dentist or anything if it starts to be uncovered there's a problem you can expect that that issue will follow because we have a duty to follow that through especially when we get people who are non-healthcare professionals who come along seeking to get medication, the focus on the prescriber who wrote that prescription becomes very quickly a serious matter. And I think there's a lot of people who are prescribers out there who don't really understand how risky their practice can be. It only takes one incident, one complication. And Mm. I mean, I know aesthetic practices all talk about well, let's sort out complications. But we look at, you know, the issues of highlights. We look at the uh, where the instances are. You know, it, 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 it actually does become uh, quite an interesting area. It's a dimension to dealing with complications that uh, people need to take into account. And I think the other problem is if they get conflicting advice from their bodies, for example, nurses can't hold stock. And they said we can hold high days because we're going to use it in a medical emergency. Um, it all sounds good in theory, but when, excuse, when the shit hits the fan. <laughs> Look, if, if I was doing aesthetics and I was doing dermal fillers, it would be irresponsible to be in a position where you couldn't remedy there and then yeah. the action you've taken. You need to deal with that because the issues of stock and how you hold stock 
and how you deal with uh, those types of situations can have serious implications. In the same way, um, you know, yes, it's great that people can go and speak to different people and have the complications, but, you know, the, the insurance companies now look at things like, well, is it a UK product? Is it licensed? I'm always surprised that the insurance company doesn't come straight to the pharmacy and say, can I see a copy of all the prescriptions? Can I see Mrs. Jones is prescription? Yeah. I always find, because that, that there's a whole raft of areas there that start to unravel. And I just think that if you're going to build a successful aesthetics business, it needs to be built on the right basis. And ethics reputation and everything is so important i find too many are quick to say i want it for the cheapest price yeah uh, and price price is yeah it's one marker but just because the person down the road can do it cheaper doesn't doesn't mean they're doing it ethically doesn't mean they've got it from the right source doesn't mean that it's actually a uk-based product yeah it, it, lots of things happen in aesthetics that really shouldn't take place and um, caution, always better to ask a lot of questions and do your research and go to re- someone with a proven track record or, or, or who can be transparent about where they've got everything from. Yeah, and I'm always shocked. We've seen new patients, I've seen someone else, they haven't got a clue what toxin was used, what filler was used, um, they've, and they we, we've written back to their previous practitioners, no clinical notes, no batch number, or, Anything to see? It, 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 it's far too common. I mean, no, no practitioner would want to, you know, someone's gone for treatment, they turn up on your doorstep and they're asking you to remedy something somebody else has done. The, the, the risks associated with that are, you know, what filler have you had? If you can't answer simple questions, and that's why there needs to be a basic um, way of, you know, basic ethical level of how people practice practice and that's why when it when you take it away from people when you see people who are, are non-healthcare professionals with nothing to lose yeah i mean when you've got a pin number it makes a big difference because you you've got something to lose if it goes wrong yeah. and it should so make I, a difference yeah. well it should but it, i think in some cases it does but you know like anything, there's a, there's a broad church. People try different things. They, they think they can make a quick book by prescribing for 300 pe- people all over the country. They think they can make a quick book. Yeah. But the risk is only one of those 300 has to fall foul. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's not just you as the prescriber, it's all the people you've supplied. Everybody else will come into focus very, very quickly. Okay, let's change that. We, we sound like two grumpy old men. <laughs> there. Um, so um, what was the best or most important advice you got when you were starting your own business? My dad. My dad, my dad always said, um, your words, your bond. Oh, yeah. And I think... Uh, I look back on that. Yes, I've been in situations where, oh, I wish I'd never said that. But I, 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 I think if you're going to build up trust, you've got to stand by what you say. Now, 
that that goes contrary something to business because some people say well everything in business is thing but I, i've always took the stance my dad took and you sometimes yeah sometimes it, it doesn't work out but i do think that you've got to treat it work that way because i think if you lose the trust then you lose everything in this aesthetics arena i think trust is is important yeah it's such a small world everyone knows everyone it's, yeah you break your bond as you say this Gonna be a hard recovery. Yeah. Um, I probably know the answer to this, but I'm gonna ask you, have you ever posted a TikTok video? I actually haven't. I've never done a TikTok video. The only my daughter, she has Down syndrome. She she loves her dancing, she's into TikTok, she's a different generation. Um it's something I've got to get into, I should think, as it changes. TikTok is more um, direct to patients, I see that sort of avenue. But I do think we need to, you know, there's, there's opportunities. And as a pharmacy, we're always thinking about what's our relationship with the end user, the patient. Yeah. In the NHS, we have a very direct relationship with the patient. They come and collect the medicines. Yeah. In aesthetics, it's B2B, and I, and I think we could learn a lot from pharmacy working with clinics to help with the, the you know, the home care, the follow-up, and maybe uh, there's an opportunity there to develop some services, I think. So I look forward to your TikTok videos coming out soon. Mm. Yeah. Um, obviously, with this podcast, we're quite heavily um, geared towards the marketing. Do you think clinicians should be marketing their services? Yeah, I think, I think you've got to market. You can't stand still. You can't expect everyone to come to you. Yeah. If, if you don't tell the world about what you do, um, people don't necessarily come. Word of mouth very good. Yeah. Uh, if you've got good telling, oh, well, they have a good clinician and everything. But I, I, I think you've got to um, look at marketing your services and market to your strengths. Hopefully, that's safety. Safety should be number one. Yeah. You know, uh, that you know that you're, if, if something does happen, you can deal with it. Yeah. And less on, oh, well, this is the price. I think people who put price up there, I mean, you shouldn't be, if you're going to compete with uh, a non-healthcare professional down the road who's doing Botox and you're sitting there thinking, taking all these ethical standards, if you're going to focus on their costs, then it's going to it's going to run to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. So you've got to promote yourself as a healthcare professional, broader church. Um, I can solve if it goes wrong. Uh, I can resolve it. They are things that are worth marketing. That's because you know at the end of the day, we see all these marketing things with big lips and different people doing it. You know. Yeah. There is a culture where people see the image and think that's what they're going to get. And the reality is uh, you need to do a bit more research and you need to get your message out there. And you probably see it the same as me. Those are people falling foul of ASA, MHRA regulations in terms of advertising PRMs when they're not supposed to be. The advertising of uh, prescription-only medicines is a fundamental rule and I've seen many a person try to bypass that rule. Yeah. There's a very good reason why we don't open up the marketing of POMs to people. Um, 
And people need to respect that. And, and, and when you're looking for a pharmacy you want to work with or, or any healthcare professional, these are things that's a warning signs to you straight away. Yeah. Tell you straight away, hang on a minute, why are they doing that? Uh, because as I said, depending on who you work with, ultimately determines your ethical standing. Yeah. And ultimately, if one goes down, it's like a, it's like a deck of cards. We could, you know, sometimes I think in aesthetics, we're like moving the deck chairs around on the Titanic. When the reality is, there's more pressing things to deal with. Yeah, perfect, perfect. All right, just a couple of last questions. Um, books that you'd recommend or books that have inspired you? Well, I'm not a great reader. Um, but one I, I did look at was uh, The Five-Minute Rule by Mel Robbins. Um, the, the interesting thing that bring there out there is taking simple steps are, are really important because a simple step can actually, you know, lead to a chain reaction and build your confidence. And you could also, um, it talks about that you can control, you can't, you can't control how you feel. Yeah. But you can always control how you act. Yeah. And as as a as a sort of mantra, that's quite good in terms of the message to aesthetics because you, you know you might try to do some things, but how you act, you can control, and how you act ultimately determines how I would view you yeah. as a professional. Now that my view would may not matter to you. But it should, because your peers are important in terms of if we're going to move aesthetics forward, we need to, you know, find an ethical ground, work to basic standards. Yeah. And I think move away from this whole idea that you're dealing with a cowboy industry that, it, you know, that is not helpful. It's not constructive. Mm. And if we don't, as a sales sort our own act out someone else will yeah and that day probably isn't far off that leads me nicely to the next question um what do you see the future of aesthetics i think it will get reined in i think it is now is the time to make sure all those steps you've taken up the ladder are secure. Yeah. If you're one of those people that thinks that step down there where I took that decision is a problem, now is the time to do something about it. And one of the first things in terms of that process is thinking about complications, how you manage them, and secondly, Think about where you get all your medication from. Think about where it's come from. Yeah. Don't be one of those people that gets caught out suddenly finding out, oh, well, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a parallel imported here or the, the supply chain that it's come through is actually based on false medication or, or falsifying. Because honestly, all those things are in the mix at the moment they're all being looked at and changes certainly on the horizon if not in the forefront of people's minds yeah, perfect 
Um, no, thank you, Andrew, for your time. I've made quite a lot of notes on your sage advice. Um, if our listeners want to find out more information, what Spring Farm do, and get obviously involved with you guys, what's the best way for them to contact you? They just, uh, well, the website Spring Farm at uh, springfarm.co.uk. Um, in email, uh, you can email myself, ajber at springfarm.co.uk. And I'll come back to you. I'm more than happy to take people's questions, concerns, anything we can do to help keep them on the right path with uh, making sound decisions. Even if they don't come and work with our pharmacy, I'm here to help. Yeah. And I think that um, if you want to deal with, if you've got concerns about complications, things like that, certainly that's an area we're trying to focus on at the moment. That's a big growth area for us. Um, we see um, safety as a big issue. And we're interested in hearing anybody who is from anybody who's serious about aesthetics. Yeah, perfect. And obviously I'll put the website and email address on the podcast bio um yeah, so thank you andrew um and hopefully our listeners enjoyed this podcast thank you very much indeed